me say hi to everybody who's joining us both online and at any of our campuses or in this room. So glad that you're with us. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Forest Hill. And before we jump into this continued series called Available Peace, I want to just uh, remind you or actually make you aware of how your continued generosity and investment in this place is making a difference. So real quick, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Orphan Awareness Month in November, and we had this opportunity in one of our messages for anybody who wanted to either support and help uh, those folks who are looking to foster or adopt, that you could jump in by texting ADOPT to a number, or anybody who was considering uh, jumping in as part of a family that might adopt or foster a child to text the same number. And guys, we had 50 people respond to that, both to give, to come alongside financially, and to engage the process. Yeah. I don't know what number of children that means, that their life will be forever changed, but it is super exciting to see how God is working with that. Secondly, um, just this past week on our Instagram page, if you don't follow us on social media, you really should. Like, take out your phone right now, follow Forest Hill Church. I, I'm sure you can multitask. It's COVID brain. I'm not worried about it. Go ahead. Do it right now. Follow us, because every day we put out stuff that's helpful. We put out new information. We kind of help you know what's coming ahead. And this past week, we let you know that one of our partners is Urban Promise. They work at helping bring kids into leadership and out of some really difficult situations of poverty, and they work all around the city. Well, we've joined in with them and with Mayfield Memorial Baptist Church, a historically African-American traditional church over in the Hidden Valley area of Charlotte. If you know Charlotte, that is like, used to be one of the most intense spots for gang activity in the country. And they are starting up this brand new site for their ministry. We're partnering with it in financial and personnel help. And it is gonna be something that changes the trajectory of that part of Charlotte too. And all of this is because you guys are continuing to give and to be generous. And because we're a church that just believes we take what God gives us and we use it for his glory. And that brings the kingdom and peace here to this earth, which is a good thing because we sure need it, don't we? We're talking today about this idea that peace is available, but it doesn't take any expert to let you know that peace is in short supply. And we began the series last week by dis, uh, discussing this definition of what peace, according to Jesus, according to God, actually is. And, and Jesus said this, in John 14, 27, he said, right before he left his disciples to, to go back to the Father, he says, um, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And that's a good thing. Because the way the world or culture gives and talks about peace is that it's the absence of conflict. It's the removal of anything that would disturb us. It is a fantasy, right? That peace, having no external conditions or circumstances that are a problem, that just doesn't exist in this life of being human. It says that peace is transactional. If I do this and you do that, we can you know, not be too mad at each other. We can lay down our weapons. It says that it's temporary. I'll have peace with you maybe relationally until you do something I don't like. And then we're right back in a fight. Some of you are dreading Christmas because of this idea right now, aren't you? Jesus, on the other hand, says that his peace, that the peace that he offers is not transactional, it's inherited. That we get it simply by being his kid. He says that it's everlasting, 
that there's going to be a day that we are experiencing right now, the beginning of a forever experience of perfect peace with him. We talked last week about how this peace is based on the idea of, in Hebrew, a word called shalom, which means way more than just not being at war. It means absolute flourishing. It means goodness. It means everything that you and I were intended to be, have, and do coming to exist in our reality. But we got to find a way to get it. And so we talked last week about the idea that Jesus allows us to find peace by coming to him. Today, I want us to look at two separate passages of scripture. One of them is a part of the Christmas story that's going to show us what it looks like when our internal world doesn't have peace. And, and you don't have to raise your hands. I can see by your foreheads that many of you are experiencing an internal lack of peace right now because that's just kind of the world that we're in at this moment. And then the second thing that I wanna show you is Jesus' prescription for any of us that would like to have internal peace or peace within ourselves. So the first thing that I wanna show you is gonna be in Matthew 2, and then we're gonna skip down to Matthew 11. Here's the deal. The, the impact of our inner turmoil on the world around us is devastatingly huge. That when we, sometimes we think that just because maybe we're struggling a little bit, that it only affects us. But what's happening is that is leaking out on the people that are around us, on the family in which we are part of, or the friend group we are, or the place we work. It affects the world in the way we respond and react to it. And it's causing tremendous pain and damage. And it's not just true of our time, but it's always been true. So if you're able, I'd like for you to stand and we're gonna to read together from Matthew 2, these words. First, an illustration of no peace. And second, what would Jesus say to us about it? Matthew 2, one through three says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod, he's the king of that area of Israel. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. The disturbance inside King Herod spread from his own personal heart and palace to the entire city around. This is the inner turmoil that leaks out from us. But then here's what Jesus says about peace. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Verse 28 says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We're gonna talk about what that yoke is here in just a second, but this is God's word to you and me. You guys can be seated. I like in that first passage that you've got all of the elements of, of a good Christmas story. You've got the star rising in these. Anybody seen that we're gonna have this Christmas star this year? It's like the first time in, I don't know, 5,000 years or something that's happened. It's really crazy. What else could 2020 bring us? Um, you've got the star, you've got wise men, so we got all the stuff of songs. You've got anxiety. You've got unmet expectations, right? Everything that Christmas is made of, you know. And in the middle of all of that, you find this king 
Herod, who's struggling with the announcement that Jesus has come. The sheer information, the fact that who scripture calls the Prince of Peace has arrived on the earth, deeply distresses and disturbs Herod. But we're told alternatively that the wise men saw this as an opportunity to worship. First thing that I want you to understand is when you really grasp that Jesus has come and what his offer of peace looks like, it is either an invitation, like it was to the wise men to worship, or it's an insurrection, like it was to Herod. It's either a challenge to your and my authority and our belief in our tiny little throne that we think we get to sit on, making our own rules and declaring reality the way we want, or it's an invitation for us to come and worship the God who created everything. We always see Jesus as one or the other. And the promise of inner peace that Jesus extends in that second passage is an invitation to you and me right now. So for the next few minutes, I want us to look at that second part of scripture and say, what could we find out that might help us over the next couple of weeks leading into this Christmas season, wherever you are, what might help us be able to find inner peace that doesn't leak out on everybody else? First, who gets invited? Who is Jesus speaking to? Well, he's talking to anybody who feels like they are grinding, striving, struggling, trying to live up to somebody's expectations, feeling like they're failing to live up to the expectations of somebody else, a parent, a spouse, a boyfriend, a boss. It's, it's offered to anybody who feels like they don't know how to live up to the, the expectations they think God has of them that just most likely are false. They're a faulty understanding of what God wants from us. But it's also for those of us who are actually trying to live up to what God does want from us, his expectation that we can't do in our own strength because we don't have the skill or the resource or the righteousness to be the person that God intended us to be. That's a legitimate dilemma. That's what sin is. It's the inability for us to be what God has asked us to be and what he intends. And we got to find a way to deal with that. Because what's happening is for all of us, you, you get this invitation is for everybody. It, it's you, it's me, it's every student in this room that's right now facing the stress and anxiety of finals or midterms. It's everybody who's thinking about how this gathering for Christmas is gonna go or not go. It's all of us. It's, it's even for those of us who feel like we're doing really well right now, crushing it, just killing life because eventually the weight of trying to keep crushing it catches up with us. And what happens when we try to find the world's peace, the peace that is not offered by Christ, is that load gets heavier and heavier and heavier. The weight begins to be such that we can't to put one foot in front of the other anymore. And so what we try to do, and you tell me if this is legitimate, if, if I'm speaking your language, what we try to do is either remove the load or most likely when we realize that we can't, we try to just numb ourselves out. Self-medicate, desensitize, whether that's through chemicals or whether that's through consumerism or whether it's through more busyness or isolating, we do anything we can to stop the pain because we're all trying to carry more than we were meant to carry. And Jesus' beautiful invitation to peace within says, first, come to me. 
That's how this whole thing starts. Come to me and I'll give you peace. Uh, last week, I got a chance to be at our Valentine campus and that was awesome getting to be with you guys. Uh, and we talked about not just the idea of shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, but we also talked about the Greek word for peace that Jesus uses here called Irene. And I had asked in Valentine if there was anybody named Irene. Anybody in this room or online around named Irene or you have a, a, somebody who's related to you named Irene? No? Okay, well, that's all right. Irene comes from the word for peace. Uh, so here's the idea. The, the Greek idea of peace is the picture of quietness and rest. It, it's, it's best illustrated by like a little child who's all nestled up in their parents' arms maybe right before they put them down into the crib. The outside world might be raging, but that kid doesn't know the difference. He can't fix it. She can't change it. There's nothing they can do about what's happening out there. All they know is at this moment, someone stronger than them, bigger than them, that's gotta worry about all those other things, has them perfectly cradled in arms. That's the idea in the Greek mind of peace. And Jesus says, that's what I want to give you. Can you imagine, just before we even get into some of the content, can you imagine if that's how you got to feel? Do you believe it's possible that this afternoon, all of the messed up, kind of agitated disturbance that you might have brought into this place, that you could actually go home feeling like a kid safe in their father or mother's arms? Jesus says, here's how you do it. Here's how we receive it. Now, I wanna make one comment before I go any further, and that's this. What I'm about to say is a general way of dealing with anxiety that we feel. It's, it applies to every single person. It's the starting point for all of us in handling anxiety. The reason I wanna make that comment is because I do not in any way wanna oversimplify that there are many of us who struggle with anxiety on a different level. And it's not just expectations that have failed. It's, it's something that's either chemical or biological or psychological that's going on that we need extra help for. And I'm a person who's had that, still does. Still see a counselor. I grew up as a little kid. I'm taking my lanta on my way to first grade. Like that's not supposed to happen. That's something that's wrong in me. So I want you to hear that I'm not trying to make a prescription for that. And we have an amazing counseling department that would love to kind of help you if that's where you are. We've also got coming up in January, something called a workshop called Living Well, where we're gonna look at some of the ways for us to get mental and emotional health, because folks, this is the battleground for so many of us now and in the future, is to be able to deal and find how to, to partner with God and the gifts he's given us to be able to, to deal with that struggle. So don't let me minimize what you might be going through, okay? All that said, let's look at how do we receive this peace. In that passage in Matthew 11, the first thing it says, Jesus' invitation is come to me, come to me. Bring the load that you're carrying to me and let's deal with it. You know, uh, the idea of peace often makes us think of, of its opposite in war. And the only way that peace happens between two countries or two kingdoms that are at war is when one chooses to surrender, right? Somebody's gotta stop fighting, lay down their weapons and say, you win. Can I give you a guaranteed way to not experience peace? Just keep fighting God. Kind of like trying to run away from the mom that's praying for you as we've heard over the years. Like you're not gonna win. 
okay? Put down the weapon, come to God, and recognize that you can simply receive the gift that Jesus has won for us in his battle on the cross against sin and death, the, the, what he's secured for us, and just stop fighting. That's the first thing. But if you wanna, if you wanna keep going with this inner turmoil, then you just keep trying to stiff arm God or avoid him or run away. The first thing you have to do is come face to face with him and say, here I am, I surrender. And, and when that happens, this is what he chooses to do. This is why religion has messed up so many of us because we still think that being good with God is all about us maybe now just trading in one set of expectations for another. Now it's about living up to some moral perfection or some list of rules, all the things that religion brings. And that doesn't work. You can't do it, I can't do it. Those are those real expectations. Here's the thing, God actually has an expectation though that, that we live perfect lives. The crazy paradox of Christianity is that while that's what he wants and intended for us, he knows we can't do it. So the whole message of the gospel is that Jesus comes and lives that way for you. And now God grades us on Jesus's life. This is insane. Imagine being able to go to your classes. Some of you are in, uh, are in high school right now and you've got midterms this week or finals for the first semester. Imagine being able to go in and just say, I'd like to choose Sally, whoever the smartest kid in the class's grades are. I'm just gonna use theirs. Is that good? Imagine that. That's the way that God looks at us. When you come to him, he says, I've already got your final grade recorded and it's A plus because I'm seeing you when you've placed your trust in Christ through his eyes. God's intention for us is to perfectly keep all of his expectations for us. And he says, if you'll allow him to, I'll take Jesus' work on that in place of yours. That right there begins to lessen the load that we have. It begins to take down the burden that we're carrying. When you lay down your weapons and say, I surrender, you begin the process of taking off the weight that's on your shoulders. And let me tell you, if you haven't done that, you can pretend, I can pretend like we don't uh, have to live up to some expectation, some rule. We know the guilt that we have of our sin, we know it weighs. The only way you're gonna take the first step in finding peace is to take that off your own shoulders through Christ. There's a story uh, of a missionary who's working in, in the Philippines. And he was talking about this idea. And he says, I, I saw the perfect real life illustration of how this often works for many people, especially in the West. He said he was driving down the street and he was on a, uh, a donkey that was carrying, pulling a wagon behind. He was taking this load somewhere. And he sees this old man and the old guy's walking down the road and he's got this huge load of wood and stuff that he's bringing home. And he's just like struggling and straining. I mean, every step is labored. And the guy says, hey man, I'd love to help you. Would you like to jump in the wagon and, and I'll take you where you're going? And the, the old guy says, yes, thank you. And he climbs in there all breathless. He gets in the back of the wagon and about 60 seconds down the road as he continues, the wagon, the guy driving the wagon says, I can still hear him. He's like still straining and breathing. He turns around and looks and the old guy's sitting in the back of the wagon with the weight still on his shoulders, holding it like, Ugh. this is what we try to do so often. We come to Jesus and he says, let me take you into my kingdom. Let me take you to peace. And we insist on keeping the load on our shoulders. 
bumping down the road like an idiot, just holding on to all the stuff, still got all the expectations, still trying to do it on your own. And folks, especially for those of us right now, those of us who are believers, followers of Jesus in this room, it is possible for you and me to end up at heaven one day completely exhausted because we kept trying to carry the stuff he told us to put down in the first place. When Jesus says, come to me, the first thing that he requires is that we relinquish the load of our own sin, guilt, and effort to him. That's first. The second thing that he says, though, is super helpful if you understand the context in which he's writing. He says, take from me. Come to me first, and then take from me. Take from me what? He says, take my yoke upon you. Anybody know what a yoke is? And they're not, y, not like egg yolk, Y-O-L-K, but Y-O-K-E, yoke. Yeah, a couple of couple other hands raised. A yoke, uh, first of all, it, it, it would be um, this tool that is used, like a wooden harness that was used to put on an ox or a bull or something you were gonna use to help do work, to plow an animal of burden. And the yoke would be placed upon the shoulders, uh, usually at this time, of two animals side by side. Uh, one on the neck of usually a younger, more inexperienced ox, and the other side, an older, probably stronger, but maybe a little less energy, experienced ox. And together, you would attach that wooden harness to whatever the weight, the load is that you wanted to move, and you would have them work in tandem by pulling that weight. Now, the yoke allowed the full weight of the burden to be distributed equally between the two and evenly in a way that doesn't hurt. That picture of kind of the agrarian life of people in this first century was taken up by rabbis and used to mean something else. Whenever a rabbi would tell someone who wanted to be their disciple, their Talmudim in Hebrew, they wanted to follow them, he would say, take my yoke on you. And this is what it would mean. If you were gonna follow a certain rabbi, to take their yoke first means that you would memorize their words. You would listen to them, you would uh, constantly be paying attention to what they say and how they say it to the point that you would memorize that rabbi's words. You see this all the time. In the Midrash, it's the writings, the rabbinical writings about the scripture. It says, um, according to Rabbi Gamaliel, or everyone knows Rabbi Hillel says, and people would memorize the way that their rabbi spoke. The second thing that taking a yoke on would mean is that you would adopt their interpretation of the scripture. You would adopt how they applied the scripture to things like, here's a, here's a famous one, um, in, in the, the Big Ten, right? Ten Commandments. One of the things it says is honor the Sabbath to keep it holy. Don't disregard this gift of rest that, that God, but do you see how much God cares about rest and peace? He built it into the very fabric of how it works. Honor it to keep it holy. One rabbi would say, well, the way that you don't work on the Sabbath is you can't walk more than a 10th of a mile. That'd be their interpretation. Another one, say that was Hillel. Another rabbi Shammai would say, uh, actually you can walk two tenths of a mile and you would, depending on which one you were following, you would choose to believe and adopt for your own life their interpretation. So when Jesus says, come take my yoke, he says, I want you to know my words. I want you to trust how I have adopted and interpreted 
the scriptures. To be a, a follower of this rabbi, to begin to find peace after you've laid down your burden, is to begin to learn how he moved, how he walked. What did that interpretation look like? Jesus says, um, you remember this in the Beatitudes in, in Matthew, it says, uh, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. Man, that's pretty straightforward, right? You've heard it said, don't kill anybody. But I tell you, if you're angry with someone, you've already murdered them in your heart. That would be an example of a rabbi interpreting the words. So for us to begin to find this peace and take his yoke, we begin to put in practice, what does Jesus say about this situation or that situation? How did Jesus act in this moment? And that's the third piece. Come to me, take from me, and learn from me. The way that a rabbi or a follower of a rabbi at that time would learn is he would walk alongside and he would put into practice and do everything that he saw his chosen rabbi doing. So he would figure out, how does that rabbi treat the poor? How does my guy treat the outcast? How often does he pray? What does it look like when he studies? How does he love the people closest to him and the ones that are his enemies? You would be constantly learning from by trying to imitate your rabbi. So to take the yoke upon you means you memorize his words, you adopt his interpretation, you imitate his action, and then fourthly, you would multiply into another disciple. Built in to Jesus' way, to the early uh, rabbi's way of extending out their faith was that you were always grabbing somebody behind you and helping to multiply in them what you had put into practice, what you learned. This is why here we care so much about the next generation. It's why here we talk about being a mentor or a mentee. We should always be turning around and handing what we're learning to somebody behind us. So if you were going to find peace, Jesus says, you take the life of a disciple, of a follower. You memorize what I say, adopt the way that I interpret it, imitate what I do, and train somebody else to do the same. That's how we find inner peace. Now, the major focus of the life of one of these disciples at that time would be to try to look like their rabbi. Their whole life would be given to, to hoping that one day as they're walking down the road in Jerusalem or strolling through the market in Bethany or wherever it is they lived, that somebody would look at them and go, I know, look, you can tell by the way they walk, by the way they act, by the way they talk, that's a follower of Rabbi Jesus. That was the point of life. And here's what I'm thinking, right? This is good, good stuff. Sounds like what we're supposed to do. I'm hearing this from Jesus' words, come to me, I wanna give you rest, take my yoke. Now I'm feeling like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. And if I'm really honest, this sounds like a lot of work. Does it sound that way to you? Is that what you're hearing? Like Jason, what's wrong with you? You started off by telling us like, this was gonna find peace and make it easy. And now you just gave me like 10 more things to do. Because so many of us think that we just take Jesus and he's like one more load one more thing to put on. I gotta be a dad. And now I gotta be a, a disciple. I gotta be a, a, a homeschool teacher. I gotta be a mom. I gotta be a spouse. I gotta be a whatever. And now I just add Jesus onto the load. And that would be true. 
unless the last line in Matthew eleven thirty is true. And here Jesus says this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come, take my yoke upon you, put that thing on, get it on your shoulders. We got work to do, but it's gonna be easy. Why is that? Why do you think him calling us to yoke ourselves to him would actually make life easier, would actually allow us to find peace that we didn't have before? Two reasons. First, we're like that inexperienced yoke, yoke, ox yoked up to the older, better, stronger one, right? Jesus says he doesn't just want to remove the circumstances. This is what we get so messed up with about peace. He doesn't just want to take all the bad things out of your life. If that's what you believe we're going for here, you're going to be sorely disappointed. He is not about simply removing everything that causes us pain or difficulty or causes us to work. He doesn't. What he says is even better. I want to get in the middle of it with you. Attach yourself to me and we're going to do this thing together. I'm going to show you what Eugene Peterson calls the unforced rhythms of grace. Let me show you what it looks like to walk with that burden. I promise we can do this together. It's light and it's easy. Here's the second reason why that yoke is not so difficult. And these days, if you uh, took your, yoke, uh, your ox, why do I keep saying yaks? That's so weird. feels like Dr. Seuss. Um, if you were going to take your ox, to, to begin to put it into practice and working. You would bring it first to kind of um, like an ex similar to what we would call a farrier. And that person, instead of making like shoes for a horse, that person would take the measurements of the ox, it would find exactly the way they move, and they would fashion a yoke that would fit perfectly to that ox. Not, not mass produced that you just grab one off the shelf, this thing was made just for that ox because it needed to eliminate the pain points. It needed to make sure there was no uh, like sharp place rubbing or, or sticking. It was made perfectly so that they could work longer without feeling the effects of it. One time in my old life, um, like, I mean, before church, uh, before I worked here, I, I used to work in a job where I had to wear a suit every day. And this one time I got uh, somebody... Some, they turned me on to a custom shirt maker. Have you ever had one of these things before? This, somebody has, okay, if you haven't, this is one of the most amazing experiences I had had in my life up to that point. Like, I mean, you guys are great, but until then, a shirt made just for me was unreal. And here's why, because that guy looked at the way that I stood and my measurements, and he didn't just go, oh yeah, you're 1737. He went, let's make this cuff a little bit a little bit wider because you wear your watch on the left side. That's need to slide over that. It's, it's perfect for you. And by the way, your right arm's a little bit longer, about a quarter inch longer than your left. So we're just gonna make that sleeve work. And, and even though, I mean, you clearly you used to be an athlete and clearly it's used to is the operative word. You're not anymore. We're gonna make that fit well through, right? And they went through all this stuff to where it's just like, this is amazing. This is what Jesus does in fitting that yoke to us. Who else but God could look at you and say, come, let me take your burden. Here, put this on. It's perfect. The work I'm gonna call you into, the life I'm gonna get in the middle of with you is perfectly designed based on your experiences, 
your wiring. I know the places that you felt rejected, the places where you hurt somebody. I know all that. Let's fit something that works perfectly for who you are. And I know what's coming. I know what you're gonna have to face later in life. All those storms, I'm not gonna take them away, but I'm gonna get in the boat with you. And we're gonna make sure that as we do this thing together, it's not gonna cause more pain. He fits to us exactly in our, this is what we call the dynamic life of Christ that we're trying to help build bridges to. He fits us perfectly with a yoke that leads us into the life that he wants for us. Isn't that cool? See, this is how you find peace. You come to him, you take from him, you learn from him, and then we get up every day and we say, Jesus, where are we going today? I don't know what we're getting into, but I'm so glad to be in it with you. Let's put this yoke on, it fits well, perfectly with my watch. And you start walking. This is the life of the disciple that brings us peace. So how do you find out if this is true? Like, I'm, I'm telling you, but I'll be honest, confession time, I still struggle with this. Like there are still moments that even though I know he's saying, I've done it all for you and you don't have to perform for me, Jason, there are moments in my life that I get caught up trying to achieve or do, or I think this, maybe you thought this before, yeah, that's for them, but he wants something out of me and I can't live up to it. You ever felt that way? You ever let the guilt of that mistake, the failure that you had just be the loudest voice in your head for weeks at a time? You ever allowed all the things that you meant to do, but you didn't, or that you tried not to do and you did anyway? You ever let that be your scorecard, be your grade? Instead of the A plus that he says is already in the book. We need this kind of peace. And he says, the invitation's wide open. Just come and get it. Come be with me. Here's how you find out if it's true. You gotta start by spending time with him. Look, just, it doesn't take that even that many minutes, five, 10 minutes a day where you just get with God and you say, just speak to me, Lord. Let me just hear what you wanna say. Not even what you need. What do I need to know about you? What do you want me to know about how you feel about me? It's, it's getting really quiet and then just saying, you love me that much? That's why we have to rehearse the gospel message over and over and over again ourselves because God doesn't just like tolerate you, he wants you so much that he was willing to give absolutely everything up for you. And we gotta repeat that and repeat that and repeat that and repeat that. And that's how we begin to let this sink in that there really is rest and peace here. And then finally, you gotta follow through on following him. Like we gotta actually choose to imitate our rabbi, to do what he says, to just choose to get in the game. Because here's the thing, strange as it is, we all wanna study, we wanna get more content, we wanna, wanna put more in our head and in our hearts, or we think we just need to know a little bit more. Can I be honest, you and I, we don't need to know anymore. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying don't ever study it, but I'm saying like, 
We've got all that we could ever possibly, if we just start imitating what we already know, can you imagine what God would open up in your and my heart and the life around us? These old disciples, the Talmudim, as they followed their rabbi, it said that they were really dusty because they walked so closely behind him that his shoes would kick up dust and they'd be covered in it. That's what I want for us. That's where peace, peace is found in the dust of Rabbi Jesus. And he says, I'm so desirous to give it to you. Will you come? Will you lay down your weapon? Will you lay down your burden? Will you stop sitting in the back of my wagon trying to carry the load yourself? So here's what I want us to do. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna to go to the communion table. Whether you're online or in person, that's gonna be next. And that's a perfect visual, tangible illustration of Jesus' invitation to come to him. But before I do that, let me just ask you this. This week, I don't want the application for us to be like doing something else. I just want you to reflect. Where are you getting most tripped up with this? Do you need to come to him? Do you need to trust what he says about how he feels about you? Or do you need to begin to imitate? And what if we just spent this week figuring out what our next step is before actually taking it? I bet you will find peace. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the middle of uh, a whole lot of chaos, you stepped into the world. And as we read today, your arrival caused disturbance. Because what you are about is not just being one more thing to add to our load or our list. You are about taking over. And we are so glad that you have. So God, I pray that in these next moments, as we contemplate what it would mean to accept your invitation to come to you, God, I pray that you would do what only you do, just like in the incarnation, you brought life, the life of God into this world. I pray that you would take ordinary, dead human hearts online at our campuses in this room, and you would breathe the breath of life that would cause us to come alive to you right now as we trust you. We need your rest. Thank you that you promise it one day, but we need it right now. So I pray for every person who right now can feel the weight of that, whatever yoke they've put on on their shoulders, whichever one is not yours. And it doesn't fit right and it's too heavy and it's sharp. And even if we feel like we are absolutely living up to it, we know in the deep and quiet places of our soul that we cannot do this forever. So Jesus, would you give us yours? Would you take it off and would you place on us? I don't know if it's anxiety for some people or if it's performance, if it's doubt, I don't know. Whatever those loads are, you know. So would you do that work? right now. I pray for every student who's a part of this service 
that they would let this truth sink deep because as they go through these next years, whether high school or into college, if we just load up the performance on top of us, it will crush us and you say there's another way. Jesus, I pray that they'd come to you right now. And I pray that we at Forest Hill Church would be known as dusty disciples who are imitating you and who want nothing more than to look like our rabbi, Jesus. Pray this in your name, trusting that you hear us.